Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke. And this week, we're back with the OG co-host, Perry. What's up, man? What's going on, gentlemen? It's been a while since I've been on one of these, so excited to get back into it here. Yeah, when Evan was here, we knocked out like three in a row that weekend when we were in person. And so it's kind of pushed you back a little bit. Yeah, it has, which honestly wasn't a bad thing with me and my schedule the past couple of weeks. It's been crazy, but excited to excited to be back. Excited to have our guest Carter here with us. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up, guys? It's good to have you back, Perry, steering the ship. You know, Evan was a little shaky there for a minute. Yeah, I got to come back in and keep things upright, you know. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Yeah, you guys heard Carter Carter last week. Uh, he was on. We're talking about turkey hunting and his lack of a season, but it was pretty pretty good. It's actually been like three weeks since we talked, um, just due to the way the podcast dropped. So it's good to get back together and catch back up. Yeah, it definitely is. We, uh, I know you've one of the things that you've been telling us we gotta we gotta get after is some of these listener questions. So I think that's the plan for this week. I know you sent us a, a ton of questions and they run the gamut of different topics from uh, workout and fitness techniques, fitness tips, um, hunting questions, some, you know, just kind of off the wall, goofy stuff responding to some of the, the previous episodes. So um, hopefully we can address some of these questions from the listeners and, and give the folks a good show. Yeah, everybody did awesome sending in questions. I was actually really blown away by the uh, response, especially uh, Carter's uh, buddy, Tim. Shout out, bud. You uh, you crushed it. Some of these are pretty awesome, and some of them are also very hilarious. So. <laughs> Shout out. But yeah, I'll go ahead and start it up. Um, we're going to try to be a little more succinct uh, this time than the last time we did listener questions with Garrett and Caleb. Uh, those guys were very, very long-winded. So we're going to try to be kind of go rapid fire. I'll toss out a question. We'll all three answer and then we'll move on, try to burn through a bunch of these. I'm sure we'll still go off on down rabbit holes because that's just what we do. So, all right, let's start. This is one from Tim. Uh, He said, he's talking about uh, just shooting animals. So he says, lung shots, neck shots, or the good old fashioned Texas heart shot. (laughs) The good old fashioned Texas heart shot. My wife was like, what is that? And I was like, that's not a thing. Don't do that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, that's when you shoot an animal straight up the ass. <laughs> not a good idea. No, not at all. So, uh, Carter, take this one uh, to open us up. Where, where do you where do you aim on the animal? I mean, me personally, I'm a, I'm a lung guy. Um, leaves a little room for a little margin for error, especially if you're out west and you're pushing <clears throat> the range a little bit. Um, but... In our hunting club the past couple of years, there's uh, Uncle Don, right? Uncle Don is a big neck shot guy, swears by the neck shot. And I'm sure everybody knows somebody who swears by the neck shot, but he swears that he's never had a deer run, always shoots him in the neck. They drop right away. I've never been brave enough to try it, um, but I'm a lung guy. I'm confident enough with my blood tracking abilities, and that's the way I go. It's a safe bet. Yeah, I agree. Com- yeah, I, I agree completely with that. I actually know another guy as well, Carter, an old timer, and he he's the same thing. He swears by that neck shot um, for the same reasons. They typically drop right there. You don't have to track them. But I tell you what, man. Recently, you know, in recent years, I've really come to love the neck meat and have done all sorts of interesting and creative things with the neck roast from um, you know just kind of a typical uh, pot pot roast style to carnitas and it's just such a versatile cut that is honestly delicious that i kind of hate to waste the neck meat these days so for me yeah it's long shot i've taken 
I've taken a front side shot at a deer that was, you know, close range and popped it right in the heart. Um, if I felt confident with that, that's, you know, that's fine. That's effective, but the heart's also good to eat if you can salvage that. So just your kind of standard broadside shot. Again, I'm confident enough in my tracking ability that if it doesn't drop, that I'll be able to find it. And that's, that's my go-to. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly uh, the same with you boys is, uh, you know, 99 of a hundred times I'm going to go with that double lung um, shot. Obviously sometimes it, it, the animals face in different directions. You have a quarter and two quarter in a way you got to adjust a little bit, but uh, for the most part, definitely going for that double lung for the same reasons you said, especially you Perry with, I like to eat the heart and then the neck meat also is great. However, there are certain circumstances, right? Where you'll, you'll take a shot. Um, and I think it's kind of dependent on the situation and that's why you kind of got to train and make sure that you're shooting enough to have that confidence at different distances. And so, I'm pretty confident anything under 300 meters. I don't think I've ever missed anything below 300 meters. I can't say that hundred percent, at least not with a rifle. And so I'm pretty confident that I, I shoot a lot of those distances. And so I, I would feel comfortable taking a neck shot if that's all that was presented. Um, my Texas deer I shot this year, um, I actually shot forward of the, the shoulders kind of at the base of the neck because I didn't have a, the Texas, they, they run feeders. And so he was standing in front of the feeder or the feeder was in front of him. And so that was all that was presented when I shot him. So, you know, that's a, a time when I shot, I tried to shoot low enough that I just kind of fucked up that brisket and I didn't really fuck up his neck meat. I had most of his neck still. So that was kind of a deliberate shot placement there, but that would be like the one time uh, that I would probably not shoot. But I think double long, like Carter said, you've got so much room for error. If you're three inches off, four inches off, you're still going to be in the kill box, you know, on a white tail. And then on a antelope it's about the same little smaller um mule deer same and then elk is fucking huge you've got the size of a trash can lid there to miss exactly and so i think just because there's so many variables it it makes the most sense but it's a great question because i think a lot of young hunters struggle with that we kind of touched on that evan was mentioning uh you know some guy he knew that he you know shooting like center mass on all of them and like gut shooting half his deer that's a really good point uh one of my my buddy cole is second deer season ever was this past year and he comes down every year now and so teaching him you just you know look at that front leg follow it straight up and then go two inches behind right behind that front shoulder and then you're in the money this is a really quick question i'm the only one that needs to answer it uh this is from uh old coach nippa between luke perry and pete who is the bigger total in the weight room i knew this one was coming uh it's definitely not perry I love Pete and I have mad respect because he just ran the fucking marathon. Shout out. That's awesome. He, he crushed it. He did his powerlifting total. I did like over 1300 pounds powerlifting total and ran him sub five hour marathon at 9,000 feet. Like, come on. It's fucking badass all in the same week. However, based on those numbers, I cannot lift Pete. So I'm just going to leave that there. He does have me on bench, but I have him on squat and deadlift pretty handily. Even with the torn quad handicap? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. He, he might have me on squat right now, but I can, I know I can pull more than he can. So, all right, uh, we'll move on. What would you recommend? This is a great one. Uh, what would you recommend hunting for a first time Western hunt? Uh, Perry, I'm going to excuse you from this one as you have not been out here yet. You can answer this next fall, but, uh, Carter, say, this is, this is actually one I would be curious to hear y'all's perspective on since y'all both have more experience than I do, but you know, still kind of learning the Western ropes themselves. Cause I'm kind of facing this dilemma myself right now. Yeah, everybody who wants to go on their first Western hunt needs to go hunt antelope for the first time. No matter where, it doesn't matter what state. You can go to Montana, you can go to Wyoming, you can go to Utah, you can go to Colorado. 
You can go to New Mexico, Arizona. It doesn't matter. Antelope needs to be your first hunt for a couple of different reasons. One, the ch- the tags are less expensive than deer or elk. Um, two, they're far more plentiful. I think in Wyoming in particular, that was my first Western hunt experience. Drew a buck antelope tag, and there are more antelope in the state of Wyoming than there are people. I mean, they are everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. And you go out there and you see them everywhere. Um, so it's not like a, it's not like a coveted resource out there. It's not like elk in some of these States where people are like trying to like (laughs) keep secrets and, you know, not tell people where like the good spots are and things like that. Antelope are everywhere. Um, so tags are cheap. You can hunt them in every state, easy to draw tags. Just go, you just need to go do it. Antelope. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually agree a hundred percent. I would I would say if you wanted to grab another tag, get a, a mule deer tag too, that would be fine. Uh, but I would suggest doing that for five plus days. Um, just because time will get away from you very quickly. It's going to take you, if you've never been out and you haven't done a scouting trip, it's going to take you two days to figure out what the fuck you're doing, where you're at. And then from there, you can really start finding like those good locations and then hone in and try to get your hunting, hunting. In. Um, and a real reason, like everybody wants to come out West to hunt elk. So Colorado has the mo- the largest population of elk and it's the easiest state to hunt over the counter to get tags in. So everybody comes here. It's like a fucking 8% success rate or something insanely low. I might I don't know. That might be made up, but it's somewhere around there. I mean, it's extremely low. The number of folks in Colorado, they're going to kill an elk. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Uh, they're a hard species. A lot of guys quit early because of where they're at. The terrain topography is shit. Um, and I'm saying this as a unsuccessful first year uh, elk hunter this last season. Got my ass kicked during archery over the counter. And a lot of it too is elk are just hard to pinpoint. Like they're so migratory. They just move all over the place. And so some of it could just be wrong place, wrong time. You could do everything right, go in deep, and you're just like a day behind the sign. And you're trying to move and you're just not going to catch that herd most of the time, especially during the season while they're getting pushed. So that's why elk, I would almost suggest if you're going to come out to hunt elk and go ahead and invest $600 in a tag, just save up another two years and then go with a guided hunt and you're going to fix the learning curve or you're going to shorten the learning curve. And then from there, you can try to hunt over the counter. Um, So I would also say antelope because they're fucking everywhere. It's not an easy hunt. People have, there's like this idea of like they're out there on the landscape and you're just going to do it. I walked 15.2 miles to kill my fucking antelope doe. So like it, it sucked. Um, it's a hard hunt. It can be depending on the, where you're hunting. You y'all can also drive up, shoot one from the truck, maybe like out, get out of the truck, obviously, but it's, it's, but it's not a give me hunt. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say antelope. I agree. Carter. Yeah. We had to work our asses off for our antelope bucks. Um, but in Wyoming, you can pick up two doe tags for 40 bucks each. I mean, it's, it's a no brainer. It's, it's a cheap learning curve. Yeah, but don't go to Wyoming this year. Yeah. Yeah. Wyoming sucks. There's no antelope there. You should go to, uh, Nebraska. Yes, for sure. Go to Nebraska. All right. I got another one from old Tim. Why did my ex think deer hunting didn't count as a date? <laughs> Perry, I'm going to give you this, this one. This is a start. great question. Cause I actually, my wife, who is not my ex, we're still happily married. At least as far as I know, she, she shares the exact same sentiment. She does. She is not considered deer hunting a date. I've tried a couple of different times. We've, uh, we've, you know, I've tried to pull the, Hey, we'll go sit in the ground blind. We'll watch this nice meadow or he's set up in the nice comfy, you know, double ladder stand and it'll be great. She's never bought it. Um, I don't know, man. I think it's one of those things that, uh, there's obviously a lot more male hunters than female. Um, there's a lot of 
awesome female hunters out there. Uh, but I think it's the same whether you're a guy or girl. It's just either in your blood or it's not. And frankly, I'm kind of to the point where we have so much going on all the time as a family and, you know, lives just get so hectic and so, so crazy that it's not a bad thing to do, have different hobbies from, from your spouse, you know? So I, I fought that for a while, but I'm, I'm kind of to the point where I just accept it and she's never going to consider deer hunting a date and fine by me. That's good. Uh, marital advice right there. I'm sitting here, Tim and I lived together in college and I'm trying to rack my brain of which girlfriend this was that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't down with the deer deer hunting days i'm going through the list right now probably yeah. probably all of them yeah for sure i've got a couple you should ask him about when you meet him this fall <laughs> but uh yeah i took i when my wife and i started dating i took her hunting once and uh we didn't see anything not a single thing the whole time which like i totally get that i mean that everybody talks about it and like it's this built up thing and then you can definitely go out there and sit in the woods and you sit in the woods for hours and it's that's all it is you don't see a deer that's how it happens so i can get how that could turn somebody off the the first time so my first reaction and i and i love melissa my sister-in-law over there perry's uh lovely wife and i I love robin carter's wife uh but my first reaction when I read this was because you fucking were dating the wrong damn shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, my wife isn't like a diehard hunter, you know, she doesn't like, she's not Jones. She's not like me where it's like an obsession. I got to get out there. But like, I'm like, Hey, you want to go sit in the, you know, the tree and spend an evening just sitting in the woods looking like, she's like, yeah, sometimes she doesn't, you know, she's stubborn and doesn't want to listen to me when I tell her to you know put more layers on and she'll sit jackhammering in the tree stand, you know, whole tree stands fucking shaking because she's stubborn. But, no, I mean, I, I think it does. It's on the couple and like, you know, Perry, like you said, like, I know we've talked about it in the past. You're like, dude, I like it being separate. And I like the, I like the separation and being able to not go with her and do some of these trips and get like some space. But then I also love that we can also do it together from periodically too, because the way I look at it is we do our own thing. We have independent lives. So I'm going to get to go do these hunts. But then if I can get her to come with me, that's just more hunting I get to do. So that's, that's kind of the way I look at it. And I like it because you know, it might be a week or a evening that we're back home in Virginia that I can't normally, I wouldn't be able to hunt. So I need to spend some time with her, but if I can get out there and we can go sit or she, you know, she wants to go out and sh- try to shoot a doe or whatever. Like it's fun. I think I was more excited when she killed a doe than she was. So here we go. This is a good one. This is about the kind of meat care and uh, prep. So your tough cuts of meat says you going jerky or burger. That's a great question. I think there's two kinds of people in this world, right? I'm a burger guy. And my buddy Spencer is a jerky guy, but I'm going burger all day. I think once I'm rolling with the grinder in the kitchen, it's just easier to just <laughs> just do it. Just do it all at once. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I hear that. I agree with you completely. The the benefits of having the the hamburger it's so versatile you can do much so much with it obviously you can just do straight burgers but your spaghettis your chilies tacos and i tell you i've done the jerky thing and i really love venison jerky i've made a a, a huge batch this year it was the first time i um, made jerky in a, in a few years actually and one of the things i found is like if you use those tough cuts for your jerky you end up getting tough jerky and it's like <sighs> If I want jerky, I want good quality jerky. So what I did this year was I used some of my uh, my Primo 
cuts for my hams. I use some of my, my bottom round and some sirloin and, you know, marinated it, did it all right. And dude, I had some phenomenal jerky. And so I understand the appeal of, you you know, tossing those tough cuts and jerky. It just seems like that would make sense. But if you want good quality jerky that you can share with your friends and family, and they're actually going to enjoy it, not feel like they're chilling on a piece of leather. And, you know, you want to actually show people that venison jerky is, is legit. Um, just use the good cuts, but you can always get steaks later, man. Yeah, man. Stringy jerky is the worst. Also, jerky is freaking expensive at the store. That's it. Whoever's running the jerky market, it's an absolutely racket. Unbelievable. It's like especially $9. If, especially if it's you're insane. buying venison jerky. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's out of control. It's because you got to import that yep. shit. Yeah, from it's museum. ridiculous. So I guess, yeah, to your point, Perry, Use the good cuts. So I, I guess in Georgia, we're allowed 10 does. So shoot an extra one or two does and make jerky out of that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that was, that was going to be my point was don't use tough cuts. Grind your tough cuts or leave your tough cuts whole, your shanks, uh, your shoulders, anything that's got a lot of sinew. I don't even trim up anymore because I don't want to fucking fool with it. I cut it with the Sawzall into chunks that will fit in my crock pot and then I throw it bone in, cook it in the crock pot, make pulled venison, you can strain it, then throw it in the smoker, do barbecue, do anything. That's kind of off on a tangent on cooking. We'll talk about that shit later. And I've kind of touched on it in the past, but that's what I do with like my real sinewy cuts because you'll cook down all that connective tissue. And then for anything like the, some of the scrap stuff, you take that, like your scrap, that's still meat. That's not sinew. That's what I grind. And then if I decide I need more grind, I'll just take a whole ham and grind it. If I killed enough, usually I kill enough animals that I, I've got plenty of meat. And then same with, if I want jerky, I haven't done jerky in years. I'm going to do some this year, but same thing. You just take those hams and then one, you can have them half frozen and then slice them because it's going to slice a lot easier and then already like trim them out. So they're evenly cut. I like the, I don't know, Perry, what do we call this? The sirloin, the kind of square piece um, that comes out, it kind of yeah, tapers off I at think, the end. No, sirloin. sirloin's actually the one that kind of looks like a, like a football. Um, actually, yeah, so, no, you're right. You're right. Because that's what we slice for the beef. We, you cut that crossways, yeah. and that's so the that's the. Uh, I think that's the top round, and and then top the bo- round. Yeah, the bottom round is like kind of similar. It's just smaller yep. on the other you know, on the bottom side of that same cut, and that's exactly what I used for my jerky this year. I took two whole hams for one of my doughs that I got, and it's like you say, Carter. If you want to make jerky, you just kill another dough. That you, you know, there's usually in the east at least where we are. Um, you know, you get multiple doughs, obviously. So kill an extra dough. Just say, I'm going to put those ham cuts to the jerky, do it right, trim it up, get those uniform pieces. Um, If you have a slicer, you know, a commercial slicer, that's great. If not, like you said, Luke, keep it semi-frozen or at least, you know, somewhat frozen, slice it even, and that'll be by far a better jerky product at the end of the day. We should uh, definitely put a jerky recipe on the website, Luke. We should just put any recipe on the website, Carter. (laughs) So I'm glad you said that, Carter, because I've actually been meaning to send this to Luke because I wrote down the jerky recipe that I did this year. I took a couple of different ones and then kind of tweaked them a bit. And like I said, it was the first time I've made jerky in a few years. So I was kind of just trying something out to see if it worked. Turned out pretty good. I made two different versions, a mild version and a spicy version. And both of them were pretty solid. Um, I'll get that to you, Luke, because I think I still got it wrote down somewhere. And it might be. Did you take pictures? I think I took a couple. I'll have to see if I saved them or not. They're probably shitty because you guys are terrible at content. Not you, Carter. You get it. Perry and Evan. Evan's getting better. I don't, I don't do the social medias. You know, y'all know that. 
Every, everybody listening to this is going to be looking at my ass on the picture of the podcast uh, picture here in a second. Oh man, you fucking ruining it! That's I right. Put that out I yet. don't know. Yeah, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a podcast ad in the works of Carter's ass, Dragon Duck Decoy. It's pretty good. Nice. All right. Um, but yes, recipes do need to go on the website, as people ask me all the time. Uh, I am really strapped for time right now, y'all, and we got a lot in the a lot of irons in the fire. So recipes are kind of to the back burner right now. The focus is uh, programming, but I'm going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. So let's grab another question here. All right. Do you guys have one that jumps out on you? I sent you guys the list. I got one I want to get at at some point. We can either do it now or Jump on it. Later. Let's go. Yeah. So um, someone asked favorite caliber rifle. And this is a great question because it could obviously, you could have a hundred different responses from a hundred different dudes, depending on where you hunt, how you hunt, what species you're hunting. But for me, it kind of touches home a bit because I use, um, a hand-me-down for at least for deer, you know, most of my life, the, the family farmer grew up hunting on, I use a 25 out six and I love that caliber. I love that, um, that gun. It, it was a hand-me-down gun from my grandfather that, um, that I got. And it has been, you know, just one of the, it, it's an absolute tried and true, you know, level shooting tack driver. And for Eastern whitetails, you know, if you're hunting somewhere, maybe more in the coastal where it's a lot thicker, you're not taking those long shots. Maybe there's better calibers, but for us, where where we hunt, um, I, I just think it's the perfect whitetail caliber. It's you know it, it could be very versatile. Uh, you could, I'm sure you could take it out there after antelope, even mule deer. Um, I'm sure there's guys that have killed elk with the 25 out six, but it's just not. It's not something you see necessarily every day, which can mean that finding ammo can at times be a bit of a chore, but. I love shooting that gun. So that's, it's just kind of a, a sentimental thing for me, but I think it's a great caliber. Yeah. I've uh, shot. Evan had used to have one at 25, six as well. And I've killed, I've killed deer with both y'all's and it is a phenomenal round. Uh, my biggest gripe with 25, six is it can be hard to find, uh, find the, the cartridge sometimes, especially in times actually, yeah, but what right is now, it right now? Weirder yeah. cartridges <laughs> You can find. Yeah, it's true. Weirder cartridges are easier to find right now, but uh, I think this question is is kind of nuanced um, because I, I kind of view rifle calibers as, you know, it's tools in a toolbox. And it's, there's not like, sure, there's calibers that are kind of universally, like a 30-06 will kill anything in North America. 30-06, solid round. But it's got some significant limitations. I grew up hunting with a 30-06 as my first rifle. Uh, at, if it's 100 yards zero at uh, 300 yards, depending on the, the grain, you're looking like a 12 inch drop. It's, it's very significant. You don't want to be holding 12 inches high and doing conducting windage. That's pretty shitty. Um, so you're pretty limited to about 250 for your range with the 30 out six. And yes, I know Carlos Hathcock killed people at a thousand meters and he killed like a hundred of them. Sure. Cool. Everybody that's going to write in and say that, that there's some diehard 30 out six truthers out there, but Right now, like the hotness is six five crude more, very flat shooting round. Uh, you're losing a lot, some kinetic energy at distance, and so they're like, there's limitations to everything. And I think what you've got to do, like the best caliber for you as a person, is like the caliber you shoot and you train with, and like you're comfortable with. And you need something that's like, depending on the distances that you're comfortable at, the further you, you go out, the more you're going to need potentially like a magnum round. If you're only shooting a two fifty, you don't need a three hundred win mag even for elk. If you're trying to shoot to four fifty to five hundred, you probably need something a little bit better. But my favorite round uh, for versatility right now is, I, like I said, I have a 30-06, but I shoot a 270. It's I bought it for my wife, and I love it. I, I crush with it. 
Um, I've killed, I shot my antelope at 276 yards uh, while it was trotting and fucking dropped her. Uh, things attack driver and I love it. Uh, however, for elk, I wouldn't take shots probably beyond 300 with it. Um, just because there's, there's variability. That's not to say I know somebody's uncle killed one at 500, like sure. But you got to look at the round and understand what the, that round is doing at distance. And like, that's how you got to educate yourself, but I'll jump off. Carter, you're on. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad you said that about the 270. I think like to answer the question right off the back, I would say 270, go buy a 270. Um, phenomenal round. I shoot a 30 out six. I shoot a Tika T3 30 out six. And I love it. It's an unbelievable rifle. It's a great round. But, uh, you know, <laughs> God, Luke. And, uh, and, uh, I can edit this perfect. out. Don't worry. Yeah. It's a phenomenal rifle. Great round. It's worked well for me, but I don't have any experience shooting out past 300 yards. Um, like Luke was saying with that drop and that Kentucky windage. So if I had to redo it, you know, I'd be looking at, you know, if you wanted any uh, round for any animal in North America, 30 out six, of course, but I'd probably get a 300 wind mag um, if I could redo it. So 270 would be my first answer. And then 300 wind mag. I will give an honorable mention here if I can, which would be a 30, 30. Um, and again, it's just a, maybe it's a sentimental thing for me. I killed my first year with a third. It's a hundred percent nostalgia. For it you, is. But... And it, it is. And that's fine. I've got one sitting over there in the safe that uh, is this gun that I killed my first deer with uh, my brother killed his first deer with, but the reason why is particularly if you, you know, we got in a Winchester lever action. And if you get a gun like that, I think it's, you know, everyone grew up shooting a Henry 22 um, as a kid. And I think it's one, just one of those guns that it's a great gun to learn on for, you know, whether you're a kid first time or even as a, an adult getting into hunting, it's a, it's just a cool, cool kind of, you know, nostalgic round that's fun to shoot. Yeah, I agree. I hunt with a thirty thirty lever action that I bought secondhand, some Marlin thirty thirty. I thought I was John Wayne every time I went hunting with it, and it was the freaking baddest rifle in the world. But yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, the first hunt I went on, I had an open sight thirty thirty. That was my grandpa's. I mean, I feel like that's a lot of folks' story. And thirty thirty, once again, it's a tool in the toolbox, right? If you're hunting thick brush. Uh, you know, in, when you've got tight shots that are going to be quick, I, I open sight 3030 or like a low, low power scope where you've got really quick, you know, target acquisition. Like, yeah, I'm, all, I'm about it. I think it's awesome. You get quick follow up shots as well if you need them. Like, it, it would make a lot of sense. I don't think it's like the preferred for a lot of things beyond 150. You're getting into a lot of, uh, there's a lot of variables there with it. Like that, that round plummets as well. Um, what about you, Carter? Do you have a question that you... Uh, yeah, I'm looking, looking at one at? here. Uh, I think you answered it on a previous podcast, but when I was listening to it, I was like, fuck, I wish I would have gotten that question. So uh, from uh, Tim Marsh, what's your dream once-in-a-lifetime species or hunt location? Perry, do you have a answer to that question? So for me, it's obviously... I, I don't have any experience out west, Um I've, you know, I've never been after anything out there. This year is going to be my first time. I like what you guys said earlier about the antelope, and I, I think that lines up well because hopefully I'm going to be meeting up with Luke in uh, Colorado at some point. And I think we're going to get after some antelope. Um, so any of the any of the big ones out west obviously have a ton of appeal to me. I can't wait to get on my first elk hunt. Mule deer sounds like a lot of fun. Um, obviously, you know, 
one of the big tickets for for everybody is a is a is a moose but if i had to pick one one species and it's kind of a combination of species and location dude i think honestly it would be caribou up in alaska just because um i think they're a cool animal i love the fact that they migrate in these huge herds i think it would be just an awesome spectacle to see a big old herd of migratory caribou rolling through and I've never been to Alaska. It sounds romantic as hell. I know it's tough and I, you know, it's a challenge, but, um, I think it would be, I think it would be something that would be, you know, just absolutely at the top of my list. Well, that's awesome. You said that, man, I actually have the same exact answer. I know previously, I think Luke, you said you, you guys talked about red stag, which would be incredible New Zealand or Argentina or yeah, that was yeah, was Scotland or wherever. That would be unbelievable, especially New Zealand. That'd be incredible. But mine is uh, fly-in caribou hunt in the middle of Alaska. I went bear hunting in Alaska a couple of years ago with a friend of mine, and it's just I've never seen that much country in my entire life. Like it's just picturesque. It's unbelievable with the sun rising and the moon setting in the same sky. It's like freaking star wars it's it's unbelievable it's such a cool area uh we can definitely definitely make that happen uh as far as caribou it's very very doable hunt i think a lot of people don't realize how doable it is i got some buddies stationed up there right now and they both killed caribou this year it's not like some people we have this idea of like how like remote and shit it is like dudes roll up there on quads and like shoot them off the back of the quad like uh when they get when they get on the herd like obviously i think we would probably have a different approach to the hunt um but like yeah, that's a that's a distinction yeah. I want to make for sure. I don't, I don't want to roll up the Denali Highway and blast them off the side of the road, which Agreed. all those guys yeah, at Jaybear do. It's kind of like it's kind of like Wyoming antelope, right? You can do it out there, but I want to fly into the Brooks Range and I want to be left in the middle of fucking nowhere, and I want to look for the migrating herds. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you can also there's a resident herd up in uh, the White Mountains, and you can go yep. you know do that. That's what my buddy Patrick. That's uh, a nice you know, bull. Pat, uh, Perry, he killed a really, I mean, it's on the website. Everybody that's been on the website, it's, it's a really nice bull. Um, you know, he put in some legwork and, and went up there and like, it's not an easy hunt, but like, it's not, it's not the remote hunt that I think a lot of us picture in our head. Now, granted, there's a lot of barriers to entry to somebody from the lower, lower 48, but it's not unattainable. Um, well, see, I, that, that's actually why, cause I mean, I think this is one of those questions that's going to change for people, you know, over the years as they you know, start checking some of those boxes or, or get experiences and, and so what. But for me, it's, that's one of the reasons it is at the top of the list is because it's not unattainable. It's something that is, you know, very doable, hopefully within the relatively near future. And so that's, that's definitely one I want to make a priority in the coming years. It's doable for every single person, man. Uh, a caribou tag in Alaska is $650, $650, man. Just, Hey, I'm from Georgia. So eat at Zaxby's. 10 less times a year. And there's your tag right there. I mean, like, I think you meant to you say know, Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Just go out to Chick-fil-A 10 less times a year. And there's your tag. Like, I mean, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Who from Georgia chooses Zaxby's over Chick-fil-A? Dude, it's, what kind of Georgian Zaxby's are you? This is the jam. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Chick-fil-A is great. It's great. It's like, it's here and it's like in our blood and it's like overstated. Like it's, it's a thing. But like, dude, Zach's, Zach's makes me uh, nauseous every time I eat it. Chick Fil A is so much I, better. This, I'm not. I will, we could go on this for. That's not the discussion. That's not the discussion. That, I went that with Zach's because it's a more bad expensive. Order, and I've spent like six years of my life in Georgia. That's terrible. Zaxby's is more expensive. It's more expensive. That's why I went with that representation. Yeah, it's more expensive, and it tastes like ass. 
I'm, I know God's chicken, man. I'm familiar with God's chicken. Chick-fil-A is Chick-fil-A. I, I am loyal to God's chicken. Oh, my right? God. But my point is, eat out less, buy your tag, go hunt whatever you want to hunt. Also, I, you know, this just came to me at the top of my list, too, is blacktail deer on Kodiak Island. I think that would be freaking badass. Yeah, that'd be that'd be super cool. I'm actually going to Alaska in two weeks. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm going to go hunt black bear and do some salmon fishing. Yeah, I'll be up. I'll be there the end of this month. All right, I'll meet so, you there. Fucking get it all scoped out. What I'm hearing is we need to start planning a caribou hunt. Sometime yes. Yeah. Pretty soon. Um, so I like what you said, Perry, kind of about like, oh, my dream hunt is like a hunt that like I can do. And I kind of feel that way. I was pretty drunk when I said Ibex in Afghanistan. A lot of hindsight and like thinking about it. I'm like, do I really want to go back to Afghanistan? Probably. It's beautiful. But those people, I don't know. That's up for debate. But Ibex would be a sweet hunt. Uh, Kazakhstan, like doing one of those like super remote in the Hindu Kush, like that'd be fucking sweet. And that's one that's pretty unattainable. I don't know that I would ever pay the amount of money you have to pay to do it. So that's probably why I would say that one. But also Red Stag in Scotland, which I'm getting ready to do a Europe rotation, potentially. And uh, I'm actually looking to set that up once I kind of figure out my schedule and stuff and do Red Stag in Scotland. I think that would be awesome. And I was looking at them, it was like 1,500 euros. I was like, that's cheaper than an elk hunt. Like, I don't know exactly what the exchange is right now, but usually it's like, you know, 1.5 or whatever. So like, I was like, huh, I'd probably, I'd probably roll with that. Um, killer red red stag in the old motherland there be pretty sweet well what about this question right here favorite type of game meat and how to prepare it um this is a hard one because i don't think i really have a true favorite game meat i probably eat the most white tail because i kill the most um i really love wild pig because i like pork and i like doing a lot of barbecue stuff so like basically i cook every game meat the same like low and slow on uh on the smoker and then i you know if it's something that's then going to be seared, I sear it and then, you know, cut it and eat it. Or I do it like really low and slow and just cook it down and, and pull it because I just kind of think that's the best way to eat game meat. But I, I honestly, I loved antelope. I thought it was very unique. A lot of people don't like it. I, I've loved every bit of antelope I've eaten. Carter hates it, but it's just not my, f- it's, it's just not my favorite, taste. man. It's just not my favorite. Dude, I thought it was delicious. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't eaten Wyoming. Maybe Wyoming antelope tastes different than Colorado. It's fine. We'll see. Maybe it. Maybe if those antelope were eating rosemary instead of sage, Carter might like them a little better. Yeah, dude, that's what we need. We need to start transplanting rosemary out there in Wyoming. Screw the sage. We need rosemary only. That's oh, what we need. I do love sage, so that might be like I put sage on a lot of a lot of things. So that might be why I like. I will say I think mule deer is my new favorite. That one I killed with Luke last year. That's I mean. Which is like kind of specific if you haven't done any Western hunting at all for people here out East. That's oddly specific, but it's maybe because it's different. Maybe I'm just like, that's the fad right now, but I really like it. I really enjoy it. The sage taste is, it's nice and it's not as intense as antelope. So yeah, I think we actually mentioned this on another podcast, but I think there's something to that with, uh, it's being, it's different, right? We all grew up eating a lot of white tail. We've eaten a lot of white tail and then you get that mule deer. I love the mule deer too. Caroline liked the mule deer. She liked it more than the antelope because it's got that sage flavor. It's just a little more muted than the antelope. It's a lot you know, stronger, but like our buddies from out West from Idaho, they've lived in Idaho and Utah like their whole lives. Um, well, up, up until their adulthood, but like they, they grew up hunting and they've killed, you know, as many mule deer and antelope as we have fucking white tails. And they love white. They love whitetail more. They they love coming out east and killing all the whitetails. So, 
I think it might just be like the new novelty. Yeah, I'm sure it's just flavor differences. I think overall, I think, you know, wild turkey is hard to beat, but I think ducks, man. I think wild duck is my absolute favorite. Absolute favorite overall, especially like a nice fatty duck. Like when we've hunted in Arkansas and in North Dakota before they get down south here and they still have a little fat on them. And, uh, you know, you can you can grill them, you can spatchcock them, you can, you know, I made some phenomenal duck nachos last year that were unbelievable or like, you know, pull the feathers and leave them skin on, grill them like that, score the skin a little bit and put a little, you know, dry rub on the outside and grill them like that. I mean, uh, duck is hard to beat. And kind of like Luke said, it's really versatile. It's you can do, you can do low and slow. You can do fast and leave it, you know, just kind of sear it. Boom, boom. in the cast iron leave it rare in the middle ducks, super versatile. And they, they come with that built in fat. That's hard to beat. Like, especially for whitetail here in Georgia, they don't get that fatty, you know? Um, and that duck fat is that taste is hard to beat. Yeah. Duck nachos. That sounds right up my alley, man. You're going to have to, we need to go kill some ducks and get on that. That sounds tasty. Yeah. Maybe we should put it on the website under the recipes tab. We'll, we'll get it up there. One of these years. If you guys, Take the photos, write it up, and edit it yourselves. I will post it. Up we're there. just a bunch of. I just don't have. We're time a bunch of goons, man. We don't know how to work you a guys phone. Are shitty, fucking writing and yeah. pictures are. We don't know anything. I'm just kidding. You're, you're the. I'm kind you're of the kidding. brains behind this whole operation, Luke. Right. That's what you I just work here. Yeah, yeah, I just. That's the fucking scary part. Is <laughs> my dumbass is the brains of this operation. Did you answer, Perry? What's your favorite game? Mate? I mean, obviously, for me, Whitetail has got to be going to be a staple and i've always been kind of a red meat guy i will say um you know a lot of guys i feel like at least in certain circles wild turkey kind of gets a bad rap now some people love it yes um i do myself like and the thing about it is is it's actually pretty versatile and you know a lot of people do the the standard poppers with the bacon and the jalapenos and like that's great those are phenomenal but dude you can do a lot of different things just from the you know kind of classic fried tender or uh, you know breast um meat from the turkey i i just think wild turkey done right as with any wild game or anything really is just a really nice um different you know white meat from from kind of your standard uh flavors that people are used to with, with your chicken and etc so i don't know turkey turkey is something that would be right up there for me yeah and to kind of hit on the we actually got this question twice worded pretty similarly, but it, you know, it's like what recipe or how to prepare it. I won't get into like anything specific. We, we've got our Tuesday tips episodes out now and we're going to keep doing those. So like every couple, every couple weeks we'll have one that's on cooking. So we'll put out a bunch of recipes and shit there uh, specifically. But just as far as if you got like, I know we have a lot of listeners that are necess- are like new to hunting or they haven't uh, done a ton of it or had a lot of success yet. Cause they're, they're young in the game or folks that are just listening to us and they, they haven't hunted at all. Like if you've had game meat and you're like, Oh man, that was not good. It wasn't prepared correctly because I'll tell you cooking with wild game will make you a better cook in general. Uh, because you have to learn truly how to cook versus like, you can take a store-bought corn fed ribeye, throw some fucking salt and pepper, throw some butter in the skillet, fire that bitch up. And it's going to taste good. There's not a whole lot of nuance that goes into that. You're not actually understanding like the cooking process. And when you learn kind of some of the science behind the cooking, that's when you truly start to learn uh, how to cook. And then that's what wild game will do because you have to be very specific and deliberate in that process. 
and it is significantly leaner than anything that's farmed because of the nature of wild game and they're moving a lot more that's why turkey legs are so tough is because guess what they're using their legs a lot more than a fucking domestic you know butter bean turkey you're buying for thanksgiving and so you've got to know how to cook that kind of low and slow to soften up the connective tissue because there's not the fat and those muscles are harder just think about like working out in the gym the more active you are the harder your muscles are versus if you've been hanging out on the couch you're kind of soft and pudgy so that's just kind of like food for thought as you guys are going forward and trying to figure out how to cook some of these things as you as you're going forward yeah absolutely i fell in love with cooking when i started really getting into hunting and my cooking game has taken off to a you know phenomenal level through that and google is obviously your best friend but as far as turkeys go here's your sunday sunday tips from carter mckenzie coming at you the turkey schnitzel recipe from meat eater is this this will air on thursday because that's when we drop the podcast <laughs> <laughs> turkey schnitzel Sunday recipe. Not here, son. That's right. you heard it here first folks uh turkey schnitzel recipe from meat eater is unbelievable you know and and easy it's it's a no-brainer you need you know a turkey breast and you need to pound it out fry it and then a lemon wedge on top that's unbelievable and then keep to anybody who has never made bone stock i know luke you're into making stock keep every bone yeah. Every bone from every animal you kill, not every bone, that's obviously an exaggeration, but keep bones and freaking make stock and freeze it and keep it like make freeze them in pint size. This should probably be a Tuesday tip. I'm probably getting out of control here. I'm wild, man. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Keep your get him three three beers deep, and he's just fucking ready, just, dude. I just I <laughs> I had some rosemary before this episode. I'm just real fired up. Well, keep your I bones and make stock. I think what you're saying, though, ties in, and what you said as well, Luke, ties in great to one of our other questions, which was, do you do the DIY deer processing or do you take it to a processor? And we've always done the DIY style. And I'll tell you what you're, what you're talking about, Carter, is once you, if you do it yourself, you process the animal yourself, you're using the entire animal, you're using those tough cuts, you're using the neck meat, you're using all your standard steak cuts and all of that, you're getting some of the organs um, you know, your, your heart, your liver, you save those bones, you do the bone broth and you figure out how to, um, utilize all those different cuts. It'll make you such a, such a better cook. And it really, it, to me, it's like a win-win because you learn how to take care of the animal and then you learn what to do with the animal when you take it out of the freezer. And for me, that's one of the great things I love about processing it myself is that, if you take it to a processor, unless they're just really willing to work with you and do custom cuts and do it exactly the way you want, you know, I might just like we're talking about with the turkey, you might want it one year, you might want to do steaks out of that, that top round. The next year, you might want to say, I'm going to do a bunch of jerky and have that versatility to be able to try new things, experiment with different cooking methods, different techniques. That's for me, that's the way to go. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't know that you could take a deer to the processor until I got down to Georgia as a lieutenant and everybody down there that hunted took their deer to the processor. And I was like, huh, I didn't know that was a thing. Cause like coming up, we just did it. I was just like, you know, I don't I mean, fuck the closest processor for cattle is two and a half hours from our house. And I'm assuming they probably do deer too. But I mean, it's not like it would be extremely inconvenient to try to take it. And the thing is, is like, at first it seems like a very daunting task. But when you do it yourself, 
enough. I mean, I don't know how many deer I've killed at this point. I, a lot. And I can do a deer. I can, I can do pigs quicker than I do deer because I leave everything bone in. But like you, you learn like the way you like to package everything. And when you do that, you can get very quickly and efficient. And I can do a deer very quickly. And like it, it pains me to watch other people do it. Honestly, Carter, I love you to death. Sometimes it pains me to watch you. Well, people. full disclosure, I was um, going to say, you, you've been, you know, <laughs> well, like I talked about in the first podcast, I'm still like relatively new to hunting and you've been a relatively good teacher as far as like the butchering goes. You're still kind of, yeah, you're still kind of a huge pain in the ass. Like, like God, do you do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. But you know, you're relatively patient and, you know, doing it, I, w- I would say my answer to the question is learn how to do it first. And then once you're confident with that, like the convenience factor of taking it to the processor is nice. Like here in Georgia, if I shoot a deer in the evening, I am taking it to the processor. It's just, that's where I'm at in my life. I'm not going to stay up and, and, and gut it. I'm just going to take it to the processor. Cause I have one, you know, 20 minutes up the road. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, but once you learn that process and you're comfortable doing it, and it is a process worth learning and a skill and discipline worth learning, you do get a more, you know, intense relationship with your food and understanding, you know, okay, this is the top round. This is the eye of round. This is the blah, 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 right. You're learning all the actual cuts. Well, and you know, I said that to bust your balls. What I was really impressed with was like the first time I saw you kill a deer to the mule deer, like you clearly, you know, learned significantly more and you had taken a lot of like little tips and, and stuff. And so like that, I think that's important because you can't always take it to the processor. You've got to know how to take a, especially if you, you know, it's easy in the East because you're hunting, you're probably not that far from the truck. Like, you know how to deal with the animal. Like some processors, you can just drop it off and guys don't even know how to gut a deer and they hunt. And like, I honestly, like I, to each their own and like whatever, but I kind of have a fundamental problem. I think you need to know the process, like you were saying, Carter, before you can really like call yourself a hunter. Like you're just shooting, man. Like you don't, you don't know if you don't know how to gut a deer, like you, bro, you're not a hunter. Like, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, if you've cut into that stomach and sp- spilled all that nonsense out, you don't deserve it. Yeah, if you haven't sat there and like stared at the butthole trying to figure out what to do <laughs> like for twenty minutes, like are you really a hunter? Like, probably dude, not, I, I still I still stare at the butthole forever. I still I'm gonna do it forever. I'm pretty sure. No, okay, so it was like two years ago where I finally like it all clicked, and now it just it's I can do it very quickly. I know exactly what I'm doing, but it was, I mean, fuck, I've been hunting for like 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is. And it was two years ago is when it like finally hit me and I figured it out so easy, but it still fucks me up on bucks because I kill so many less bucks than I do those. So I'm still kind of like, ah, but it's not that dude. That happened to me a couple of years ago that, that, uh, that buck I shot and I'd gone to, I mean, I'd gone a hot minute without shooting a buck. Um, let a, let a lot, you know, a lot of, decent ones walk that just you know didn't really do it for me <laughs> it's the same kind of thing you stare at that set of nads going huh hadn't seen one of those in a in a couple of seasons how do i do this again it's like the first time i shot a pig and you're looking at it and you're like it's pretty similar to a deer but like everything's kind of more forward and they stink and they're covered in ticks and like you're like eh, it's, it's kind of the same but like you just got to do it and uh so i highly recommend doing it yourself if you're killing a lot of animals, you can save a lot of money. I mean, there's there's instances where I can see taking it to a processor. If you're um, really you know, extreme like I'm going up to, or you know something like that, yeah. We're like I'm going up, you know, on this Alaska trip. You know, I'm up there for ten days. Uh, if I do kill a black bear, you know, we there's got a ton of travel planned with the folks we're going up there with. Like, yeah, I'm probably going to take it to a processor, have them handle it. I don't want to fuck the hide up. Just have them do it. 
I'll pay the money and then I'll, then I'll go down. Like it's just going to be a lot more convenient. And then I can have it all packaged up, ready to go hard frozen, which is going to perfectly segue in me into the next question, which is how do you travel distances with meat? And uh, I had a lot of experiences with this this last season because uh, I traveled a fuckload. Um, but I'm going to let Carter jump on first because I know he's had a lot of experience as well. So uh, kind of like you were saying, Luke, I've, I've a limited amount of experience with it as well. I've done it with fish from Alaska, sockeye salmon from Alaska. I've done it from Wyoming with antelope and mule deer from antelope. And all three have been like a little bit different. Alaska was actually the easiest. Um, I think Alaska is like, as a state is like fully dialed in to this is where outdoorsmen come to hunt and fish. And it's very easy to go to you. I, I just went to the UPS store with my filleted fish and they have like an overnight freezer in the UPS store for just for game for, you know, for fish and game. And so they put a hard freeze on it and they ship it out. Uh, and it's a million dollars. And then it comes back to Georgia. That was the easiest. And then in Wyoming, the first time we went, we dropped off our antelope bucks at a processor up in Buffalo. Um, so gutted them and then uh, <laughs> threw them in the back of the rental car and then drove them north to Buffalo and uh, dropped them off there. And then they bushed them and then shipped everything home and it showed up like two months later. So that was like not a big deal, but it was one less thing to worry about flying home, which was kind of nice. And then this most recent time um, with mule deer, myself, Luke and my buddy Spencer, when I killed my mule deer, we all kind of broke it down together in camp and boned it out. And I had learned this. I actually had learned these tips from uh, Remy Warren on his podcast um, uh, about flying with meat. And so I went to Wyoming with a like, 120 like gallon Ziploc bags and then um, like saran wrap, like just, you know, a couple individual boxes of saran wrap. And so in Wyoming, when we killed this deer, we broke it down by each muscle group and I packed a bunch of Sharpies so I wouldn't lose my Sharpies and then labeled each muscle group, put them in these bags. And then it was cold enough there where we could get a hard freeze on them. Um, picked up some dry ice at the local Walmart and Casper um, the night before we flew out, put some dry ice in <clears throat> the cooler to put a hard freeze on them, took the dry ice out the next morning before we flew because apparently that's a big no-no because explosions in your cooler or something like that. And then that was relatively easy. So we actually flew with soft-sided coolers that Luke bought for me Um as a, as a carry on, which is kind of hilarious. So like the two carry ons we had on the plane was, uh, my mule deer, which was amazing. Yeah. And like, that was kind of a trick I learned. So I, I learned a lot of hard mistakes on my first trip to, uh, I never flown for a hunt before. So I flew to Virginia in October, ended up paying like $150 in overweight baggage fees. Cause I just fucked everything up. I didn't know how it all worked. Uh, for those that you don't know, uh, if you're in the army, you get three free check bags. If you're not on orders, um, up to depending on the airline and depending on who's working somewhere between 50 and 70, sometimes they'll give you up to 70 free. Sometimes it's just 50, um, which is, is really sweet. So if you're, you're on active duty, like just right there, you can fly with a lot of stuff. Um, you can take a, a soft cooler as a carry on. 
Um, I did it with a soft Yeti, one of the flips. And then um, what I really like is I bought for my Texas trip, the Ozark Trail. They're like 70 bucks. I don't remember how many quarts they are, but they're the Ozark Trail soft coolers. And for 70 bucks, you can't beat them. I was going to buy them total transparency. I was going to buy them and then return them. Um, but then I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to keep them and use them for hunts. Cause you can stuff them in other bags, fly them out as one bag and then like pull them out to fly them back in the coolers. And I think that's the most convenient way to do it. And if you have a hard freeze on them, you got to think and, and do like some math in your head for how long are you actually going to be traveling? Unless you're flying to like Alaska or New Zealand, I don't even think you, you don't need any ice. You just get that hard freeze. You put them in those cooler, those roto molded coolers, excuse me. Uh, yeah, excuse me, I guess they're not world mold, but the like the Yeti knockoffs is what I'm trying to say. The soft ones, they'll hold a hard freeze for like 10, 15, 20 hours. And so you can go pretty far travel with just those coolers. And that, that's what I did. And I would do, I don't even know, probably 120 pounds of meat back from Texas that way. And then when I flew back up uh, after the pig hunt in February, I brought another I think 95 pounds of hog meat back. Definitely bone everything out. I still don't bone out the neck because I'm lazy and I hate boning out necks. But other than that, just bone everything out, put it in Ziploc bags, seal it, uh, let it drain, drain the blood or the the fluid again after they kind of like bleed. And then like, so you make sure you don't have any leakage because they will open and inspect for leakage. But like, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You just tell them it's hard frozen meat and they'll let you fly. Well, obviously y'all have a lot more experience with that than I do, but, um, one of the things, so this this might not actually be that uh, valuable, but when and whenever, or I think it was actually you and I, Luke, and we were talking with uh, with our our buddies from uh, from Idaho. They were talking about um, go if you're if you're flying with it, and or or you're shipping it back. I guess either way, you could do it. Um, go buy a couple of the uh, you know the cheap coolers from Walmart, your cheap Coleman's or whatever get that hard freeze on it. And if it's going to be a relatively, you know, efficient shipping process, then it's not going to be months Carter, as you know, as you alluded to. Um, but if you're expecting, you know, get it and return the coolers and, and you save, um, saved a little bit of money. I thought that was, you know, I don't know how practical that actually is or if, or if that would actually work, but sounds like it might be something that um, would be fun to try at least. Well, that was my initial plan was listening to Trent and Chad. That's why I bought those soft coolers. And I was like, I'll just fly back with them. I left all the tags like in the pouch. Cause like, I'm just going to return them. You know, just, you know, if you hard freeze everything in Ziplocs, it's going to be clean. But then I was like, man, I'm going to travel more. Like I'll just keep these and then you know, not return them. So I have them going forward. I was going to ask about the dry ice though, because actually it was funny. I was talking with my wife the other day and we were talking about some of these Western trips and uh, she was like, well, how do you get it back? And I was explaining some of the different ways you can do it. But I was thinking, like, if you're if you're flying, can you fly with the dry ice? I mean, to me, dry ice seems like a very logical way to ship it. But, um, you know, if you're doing UPS or, you know, whatever. But um, I didn't know about the, the flying question. So I did a lot of research before this last Wyoming trip. <clears throat> and your cooler or whatever you're shipping, the vessel for your meat has to be vented if you're flying with dry ice or else it can build pressure and explode allegedly. I don't, I don't even know if that's true, but that's what TSA says. So we just bought all, I called every Walmart in Casper. I was trying to plan logistics and found out who sells dry ice. We bought it the night before, put a hard freeze on it. Like Luke was saying. And then by the time we got back to Georgia, as soon as I got that meat back to my house, it was, you know, 
less than 20 hours later by the time we went to bed and then landed in Atlanta and got back home. The the meat was still very cold, so it was fine. It still had a freeze on it. It's it's no big You can get anywhere you need to go, but we just wanted to be extra confident with that with that dry ice on the top. Yeah, I don't think dry ice is a bad idea, but based on my experience this last fall, I don't think it's necessary, especially if you keep if you get it uh if you get that hard freeze. If you don't get the hard hard freeze, just keep it cold. And like me those coolers, once those coolers cool down, they will keep things cold for a long fucking time. You don't need to keep it hard frozen. It just needs to not like meat. There's like this misnomer that if meat thaws, it's like bad or something. No, it's fine. If it freezes and then thaws, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, so obviously it's better if you can cool the meat immediately and we can talk about meat care and stuff at a later date, maybe Tuesday tips or something, but you obviously want to as quickly as possible, get the meat down in temp. But as long as it doesn't get back to warm, you're, you're good. It's fine. Yeah. It was certainly a, a, extra precaution i guess to get the dry ice the night before because when we camped out the night before luke it was 12 degrees that night so we just left the so yeah cold. we left the cooler tops open and everything got a hard freeze on it and you know in the in the belly of a plane it's you know under freezing anyways so no big deal yeah i don't think you're wrong to do the dry ice by any you know i mean it can't hurt and keeping you know you're just gonna get it even probably even harder yeah freezing. it was just extra just you know it was cheap enough at walmart why not yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you got the time and the resources, you know, why not do it? Absolutely. All right, let me dig through here. What uh, about Yotes? You want to tackle this Yotes question? I was just looking at that one. Do you hunt Yotes? And if so, what do you do with I'm going to have a very um, unpopular answer here. Uh, probably the same. Uh, I hunt Yotes at this point in my life, mostly in convenience. Shoot them when I see them. And we've done a few hunting over carcasses and like I've done a couple Fox pros, but like I wouldn't call myself a coyote hunter. I probably killed three or four coyotes in my life. Maybe a few more. Uh, I've done nothing with them every time I've killed them. I just leave them there. Uh, I think now if I killed like a, a nice good sized one that had a pretty coat, I might try to skin it and, and fuck with tannin or something, but I haven't killed a coyote in probably four or five years. And just growing up, you just, I mean, I grew up working on my grandpa's beef farm. And if you saw coyotes, like he'd beat your ass if you didn't kill him. So you, you know, you just shot those things and then moved on because they'll kill the calves. That's the same mentality here in North Georgia. And my unpopular answer is I don't enjoy shooting them. Uh, I don't like, I mean, they stink like shit. And after you shoot them, you just throw them in the woods. Like, I don't love that. And, you know, now owning my own property that I can hunt, like we have a resident family of coyotes that come through every once in a while and Sometimes I don't mind not seeing deer and I enjoy watching those coyotes come through and they're really, you know, kind of pretty blonde colored. Like, I don't know. I just like watching them do their thing and I don't even think about grabbing my rifle, just watching them do their coyote thing, which is a super unpopular uh, thing to do here in North Georgia. Everybody's bred to hate and kill coyotes with, you know, unabandoned passion. Um, you know, everybody says it supports the turkey population and they kill fawns and all this stuff. But, you know, research really shows that the more coyotes they kill, the harder they rebound biologically, um, which is not a defense. I just don't enjoy shooting them. Well, it's a good point though. Some research that is a, that is a contested bit of research, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I kind of, sorry, but I kind of agree with you, man. Like I only shoot them when I see like a direct, like I kill them. I've let them walk out at our other farm because I'm just like, eh, I don't, we have a ton of deer. I don't think they're really hurting the deer population. And honestly, the deer population probably needs some curbing. And then out of the other farm, I kill them because they hurt, you know, they, they'll kill the calves. And I, I'm kind of with you. I don't eat them. I don't use the pelt. So like, if I don't need to kill them for control to protect an asset like the cattle and we have plenty of deer, what's the purpose other than, you know, I, I, I understand yeah. exactly. We're, we're already allowed 12 deer a year in Georgia. Like, you know, I killed a coyote this past year on our property and, you know, I was chasing a big buck and I thought I was <laughs> helping out, but we're allowed 12 deer already. So there's already plenty of deer here. So I kind of just like watching them do their thing. They are cool. They are cool to see. I mean, I, I'm the same way. I, I grew up working on and around farms and every farmer that you've ever run across says, if you don't, you know, shoot those fucking coyotes, you know, I'm going to shoot you. And that's fine. I get it. I totally get it from a, uh, from the prospect of um, protecting your calves. If, if I was, if I was a bee farmer or dairy farmer, you know, whatever, I'd feel the same way. I agree with you, Luke, where we are, we're not hurting. Our deer population is not hurting at all. I tell you what is um, a little troublesome is the damage that a, a coyote population can have on turkeys. And there are certainly sections of the country right now that are having, um, or at least seem to be noticing some uh, declining turkey populations, which is concerning, obviously. Um, there's a number of factors at play there, and, and we don't have to get into all that right now, definitely. But um, the you know resurgence and and uh, explosion of of yotes around honestly most of the country um they're an adaptive little little critter and they do good in in urban and suburban environments so i mean they can definitely put a put a hurting on the turkeys um as far as like if you kill one what do you do with it i'm with you maybe if i killed a really nice one at some point i might consider keeping the hide i don't know probably not um they are cool to see I was I was actually out on my uh, my morning run the other day, and it was you know first light, and sun just starting to come up, and there's this big old uh, clear cut um, out where through I run sometimes, and the uh, the yotes were howling down there, and it was just, you know it was just one of those nice cool mornings, and it was like man, it, and I don't live in like a super uh, rural area, it's you know it's kind of developing somewhat, but it's kind of cool just to know that. There are still some. It just kind of you know it makes you feel like there's still some wild things out there. So I get it. They're kind of they're kind of cool to see. Um, I get why people don't want them on their on their farms. But yeah, for me, I don't have a ton of desire to shoot them. Honestly, if you're if you're wanting to control the population, probably trapping's your best bet anyway. Yeah, I was actually getting ready to say that. Um, I helped one of my buddies. Uh, it's actually one of the newer team members, uh, Lyle Avis. He runs Tracking Dogs down in uh, Georgia. We were at Fort Benning together. He was my neighbor. Uh, he's getting ready to retire from the army. He's a great, great fella and a pretty hell of an outdoorsman. But he ran a lot of trapping. Uh, we trapped pigs together down there, and then we uh, he had a trap line that he did on Fort Benning for uh, management because there are so many coyotes, and that is by far the most effective way: uh, foothold snares and then shooting them. Um, it, trying to shoot them with rifles you're just not going to kill that many and they're not they're so adaptable uh you're probably going to just train them up and make them harder to kill in the future uh because they're extremely intelligent 
But yeah, I mean, predators need to be controlled, especially when there's no, like, there's not a whole lot of natural predators for coyotes other than, you know, people. And so I, I think if you've seen an abundance of them on your property, sure, shoot them. And if I see one and I have a bow or a rifle in my hand, I'll probably shoot it, but maybe not. It just kind of depends on my mood. I'm not, I think it's funny that there's this, like, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that goes into the killing of coyotes where we sit here and we're like, we got to have hunters because because the deer will explode in population and disease. And then we're like, well, we got to kill coyotes because they're killing all the deer. It's like, well, you can't really have it both ways, brother. Like you got to kind of choose which one, because if we need to control the deer population, then coyotes are going to help with that. And if you want to kill, you don't want to, you know, want the deer population to explode and we got to kill coyotes or do you, you just want hunters to be able to kill and control the population. Like that's kind of the, the mental gymnastics that everybody goes through. Yeah, I went through a phase when I was like trying to justify my bear hunting to anybody I talked about. Like, oh, you you know, you have to kill kill X amount of bears because you know biologists say that blah blah blah. You know, they eat this many deer and blah blah blah. But like now, I'm at the point. It's like, yeah, if I want to shoot a bear, I want to shoot a bear. Like, if I don't want to shoot a coyote, I don't want to shoot a coyote. Like, that's it. Well, and the reality is, if you really want to talk about managing the coyote population, because, I mean, you are right, Luke, there's not that many natural predators of coyotes, and right now we're pretty much the only one, but i tell you what is one, is wolves. wolves. Where you don't see yep. many coyotes is where you got a nice, healthy wolf population, and mm-hmm. if you want to start talking about having, you know, quote-unquote, real conversations about managing coyotes in this country, let's talk about some large-scale wolf reintroductions. But, you know, people, for the most part, don't want to have that conversation either. So, well, I'm, I'm certainly not qualified either. <laughs> As a uh, honorary temporary Colorado here, uh, wolf reintroduction is a very sensitive subject and a topic for another podcast because I could go into a lot of depths on this and kind of my uh, progression and my education and learning about it. But you can go on to something else. I got one. Uh that I think you, Luke, and maybe you, Perry, would be able to answer better than I would from my buddy Colby. Um, what do you believe is the most effective way to cut down on the feral hog population? So little context here. My buddy Colby, uh, his family owns an 11,000-acre farm down in South Georgia that they grow. So Why are we why just we now hearing about out? this? <laughs> what <laughs> what is the going hell, on? man? Colby, do you want to come on the podcast and come hunt up in Virginia? Holy fuck, dude. Damn it, Carter. So, and do you need somebody to help you run some traps down on that place? Because I will fly I will, out there every other fucking yeah, weekend. Let's do it. All right, so maybe we need to talk to Colby. He's a great dude. And uh, it's an old family farm, and they have peanuts and soybeans and everything under the sun. And he's very gracious with his land. And we go down there and deer hunt every year. And hogs are like a really big problem down in South Georgia. And it's something I'm not well versed in, um, so I thought maybe Luke, you could tackle this one. Or are you still reeling, reeling uh, yes. from the fact that I have a friend with an 11,000 acre farm? A little bit. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit uh, a little bit hurt here that we haven't met Colby yet. Uh, though I'm sure Colby is a great guy and would be fun to drink beer with. Outside of the fact that his family has 11,000 acres. Uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, so I did uh, just for some context. I was part of the trapping program down at Fort Benning. Um, I was moderately successful. I wouldn't say I was like the best trapper in the world, but some of that, there's a lot of, uh, constraints Fort Benning puts on you. Honestly, if you're doing some private land, you could do a lot better. The, 
and I'm no expert, but everything I understand from the biologists and the stuff I've seen um, and listened to and my experience trapping is the best way is corral traps. Um, and you got to remove entire sounders at a time. And so what that sounder is, is the entire family group. Uh, so you're looking at, you're probably got somewhere between two to four breeding age females and then the piglets. And you need to remove the entire family group. Uh, removing boars doesn't matter. Everybody wants to kill a big boar, get the cutters and the skull. You know, I've got one. It's cool. But like that is zero for the population control. You got to remove the females. Um, I talked about it in the last pod or a couple podcasts ago. I fucked it up and then I kind of corrected myself. And I don't remember what I said. So go back and listen to all the episodes and you'll hear their fecundity rate. It's very quick. Um, they can breed very quickly after, I think it's like four months after they're four months old, they're in sexual viability. And so you, you have to get the females out of the population. And the best way to do that is corral traps. And so these are, they look like kind of like a small horse corral and they've got a, a gate and it's either uh, activated by the pigs themselves with running like a line that holds the gate up. And then you put corn around um, a trigger and they'll hit it with their nose and then it'll shoot the gate shut. Or like now they've got a bunch of ones that are like mechanical. You can run them from your phone. And so you can have like a trail cam that is set up on uh, cellular and you'll get a picture or a video of what's in your, your trap. And then you can manually hit the button on your phone and shut the gate. Cause you see that all sounder in there. And that's probably the, the fastest way to uh, remove the population, the farm or the ranch or whatever down in Texas that I go down to hunt on. They uh, had a guy go down there and he killed a shitload of pigs through the corral traps this year. And when we were running the dogs, we killed way less pigs than they killed the year prior. And so they're seeing way less population. So definitely corral traps. Can, in my can you define a sounder for those of us who don't know what that is? Yeah, that, that's the, the family group that I was talking about. So it's going to be several bring age females and then uh, likely piglets. Um, it just depends on how many of the, the, the bring age females have been bred. Um, so you can have some of them will have, you know, three to four piglets. Some of them have like 15. Um, what you'll find is you want to get the breeding age females in the trap and then shut it. It doesn't matter about the piglets because if the females that are in there, the piglets will hang out. Uh, this is very kind of morbid. Uh, and it's, it's kind of something that you got to wrap your head around. So you have to remove 60% of the pig population per year to maintain the status quo. So like to, it's 60 to 70. So to maintain the current population numbers, you have to remove 60 to 70% of the pig population. You cannot let the babies go. So when you're, you have to kill all the babies and it's kind of shitty. I don't like killing piglets. One pigs don't die. Well, period. Piglets are kind of cute. They're smart as dogs. Like it's not the most pleasant thing to do. Um, but you have to, to control the population because they are like in four months, those female piglets will be fucking pregnant or breeding. So like you have to kill them all. Um, so this could almost turn into a full-time job. I mean, that's crazy. It is for a lot of guys. A lot of guys do it full-time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a USDA trapper on Fort Benning paid. He's like contracted to, well, I don't know if it's contracted, but he's assigned to Fort Benning works full-time for the USDA. All he does is kill pigs. He ran the trapping program, trained us. And then we did it. He did all the trapping within the residential populations and they'd all like the nighttime shoots. Cause what'll happen is the pigs are so smart. If you prematurely set off the trap, those pigs will become trap shy and they'll eat all the corn up to the trap because you, you leave, we call them like the breadcrumbs, like Hansel and Gretel type shit. You just like lead them up and then that's how you get them to go into the trap. 
you'll train them to the point they will eat up to that point. They will not go up in the trap. And so then like, those are the ones you'd probably want to go target with thermals and then have to pop those, the ones that have been trained to avoid the traps. It sounds like uh, you and Colby need to talk. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, obviously my schedule is pretty fucked, but I would love to just come hang out. And I mean, I, in, I'm no expert at this, right? Like I, like I said, I, I didn't, you know, it was not the most successful trapper, but there's a bunch of different, you know, ways you can do it. I think corn's the best. I had a, a one of the guys that goes down to Texas put out a bunch of that uh, hog slop stuff, like the beer and the Kool-Aid and fermented corn. And like, it wasn't touched. None of that was touched by the pigs. So I think it's, some of it has to do with like what they're used to eating. Um, and that's what they're going to hit. It's like, you know, fishing, right? Like if you're, if they're hitting fucking, you know, one thing and you throw something else, they're not going to hit it. And I think that's the same with, with anything else. So, uh, I mean, thermals are also very effective. If you know they're hitting your, your corn fields, getting out there or your soy fields or whatever, getting out there with thermals with, um, you know, some sort of semi-automatic rifle, you know, AR-15, AR-10, something, and just getting out there and just popping them quickly. And with quick follow-up shots, you can kill several pigs. You can remove a whole sounder pretty quickly with uh, in, in that way as well. Plus, it's, I mean, it's just kind of fun. Running them with dogs is a lot of fun. It's probably the least efficient way to kill them, but. Yeah, I think I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head, Luke. I don't have a whole lot to add there. I'm certainly no expert on it myself. I've, I've never actually done any pig trapping, but I, th- I think what the bottom line, the takeaway for your uh, buddy down there, Carter, would be you're just going to have to wrap your mind around the fact that you got to eliminate those things. And yeah, it's fun to hunt them, and like I get the appeal, and I'm all about guys going and, and going on hog hunts. But if you want to, if you're talking about managing that that size of uh, of an operation. And they've got a they've got a hog problem, then you're going to have to get serious with the traps, um, learn the setups, learn what those hogs are doing, and basically be ruthless. You know, you can't <laughs> you can't let any of them go. Uh, you just got to you got to hit hit them hard. Killing baby pigs is really shitty. Like it's like killing. A it's baby. like you said, man. Pigs don't die easily. Um, I I help a guy I work with. We slaughtered and butchered a domestic hog for a pig picking um, a couple years ago. And the pig picking itself is a blast. Like I love a good pig picking. That's fun. But um, they, they they don't die well. And like I say, they are smart. Um, when they're little, they're kind of cute. It's it's not exactly enjoyable. But for those guys, as the property owners, you get, you just got to look at it as you're you're protecting your investment. You're protecting your livelihood. And those hogs are just you know they're nothing, not doing anything but damaging it. So another option though, if you didn't want to kill the babies, okay, shoot the big ones. You have all the babies that are already trapped. If you raise them, you start feeding them, you'll that will re-domesticate very quickly, and then you could raise them just as fucking normal pigs. Like they'll get the curly little tail and there's they won't get the long snouts. Like it is probably the most adaptable species on the fucking face of the planet. It's unbelievable how quickly they go from like feral to not and then in reverse. Um so it's 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 wild. So I, you, you could do that if you wanted to have uh turn into a hog farmer you know yeah have some hog you know some hogs as well or if you just don't like shoot well, that makes sense right they were introduced to the new world colombian yeah. exchange that kind of thing yeah so uh this was like what i had to correct and i remember i might still fuck it up a little bit but i'm not going to recorrect it and oh, just go back but basically like, yeah they were they were introduced back then and then those those were domesticated they went feral and then it was like the 19 19- 50s or 30s, I don't know, some, sometime in, you know, the 
1900s, somewhere between the 30s and 60s, let's say, people then brought in the Eurasian wild boars for these hunts. A lot of it was like type of high fence stuff. They got out, they escaped, and then they interbred. And so now most of the pigs you're seeing out there now are some sort of hybrid. Um, In Georgia, it seems like the pigs, what I've noticed in Georgia, I saw a lot more red, a lot more uh, like checkered, black and white, like different colors. In Texas, they mostly seem to be black. And so I, I don't know exactly what the cross is. Um, on that but yeah it's interesting we got any more of these we want to tackle yeah let's look real quick uh, what's on your workout playlist okay. hunting out of a stand spot and stock yeah let's okay so workout playlist this is kind of a funny one um I'll, I'll hit this one first i have the most ridiculous mix of shit on my workout playlist um and what's funny is so old garrett uh shout out the quad Demidator, Quatimidator, however the fuck you say it on Instagram. You guys know him from the last listener questions episode. Uh, he's kind of putting together an HLE playlist on Spotify. He's going to put out to folks. But my shit is absolutely insane. Like if you're familiar with like King 810, 810, like very kind of like metal shit. And then I have Taylor Swift. So it's a big gamut of shit you've got um, on, on the workout playlist for me. Yeah, I'll go ahead and address this from a uh, history teacher's point of view uh i work out to the soundtrack of hamilton which is you know super embarrassing um gets me fired up man what do you i mean what do you want george washington gets me fired up hey, i've listened to the uh, soundtrack of last night Hegan's before to work out so i mean is is both phenomenal is. soundtracks I, i'm sitting here laughing but i'm not gonna shit on you guys I, I, I like soundtracks and both of those are great so Perry, I know you're like new to the workout game. It's been like two weeks, but do you have a playlist you like to listen to? Nah, dude, you know me. I don't do playlists, but um, you just do Pandora because you're too cheap to pay for Spotify. <laughs> no, I, I got Spotify, but I, I don't know. I just don't like building playlists. Um, I do, I do like Pandora. Call me old fashioned. I don't care. I like Pandora. For me, honestly, like I and Evan will Evan will know this. Uh, we talk about it a lot. I, I mean, dude, my music taste is pretty damn eclectic. I love everything from old school bluegrass and old Tommy to traditional country. You know, I can pretty much leave most new country, but you know, red dirt stuff. I'm, I'm great with all that, but um, I'm kind of a closet metalhead. And so if I'm, if I'm doing something like that, I typically go to heavier stuff, um, either old school metal, Pantera, Iron Maiden, Sabbath, some of that stuff, or um, getting some of the heavier stuff with some, some newer mellow death and that kind of thing. So probably not, not your standard answer, but um, yeah, I like the, I like the, the hard riffs for, for the high to high energy workout activity, running, et cetera. I work out to a lot of podcasts too, which is like, <laughs> it totally too. takes the air out of a lot of people's sales, but it, it allows me to focus on something else, especially on the like long runs, like six miles plus, like podcasts help me bang it out. Well, I was going to say with um with the with the new earpods that they're out there with the noise cancelization and then you know the Bluetooth the wireless like I just I mean hell I just got a pair and I mean they're game changers you know I can be mowing the grass muffles the lawnmower listen to a podcast um, I'm constantly behind on the podcast I want to listen to so having that option I mean what a world that we live in that we can have fucking Bluetooth wireless connected earpods that muffle the lawnmower and we can listen to you know the luke or 
Well, that that world would be 2019, and you're just now getting there in 2021. So, yeah, like, get an, get an Welcome dude. to the fucking club. So, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Hashtag think, fuck uh, Perry. I think the time has finally come. I think Luke twisted my arm <laughs> enough. I haven't done it yet. I'm I don't even know what my fucking Instagram handle should be. Fuck Perry. Yeah, fuck Perry, I guess. But uh I think I think the day has come. So I'll probably be getting on the old gram here before too long, unfortunately. I'm not really looking forward to it to be honest, but it uh it needs to happen. So yeah, get, absolutely. Get this century. Yeah, for sure. Uh, on the podcast note real quick, if you guys want to or go on a long run or something and you want to make sure that you don't stop running, go to the Jocko podcast and pull up everything he talks about with the guys from McPhee Sog. Okay, so McPhee Sog, just as a side tangent, was uh, the shadow war that we were fighting in Cambodia and Laos during Vietnam, and these were the special forces guys. Uh, every single one of them was shot at least once. There's like over 100% casualty rates. They, most of them were wounded more than once, and there's whole teams that just like disappeared. And it's something that didn't get talked about until, you know, within the last 20, 30 years. And a lot of the guys were given like bullshit medals because it was a shadow war that wasn't supposed to be going on when they all, every single one of them probably deserves a medal of honor based on the citation. Uh, you will not stop running when you listen to their stories because you realize you're a fucking bitch and haven't done anything with your life. So, yeah, if we're being specific, it's episode uh, 180 is where it starts. 181, 182, 183, 185 and 186. It's hilarious you said that because that shit gets me fired up on every run that I'm ever on. I mean, it's unbelievable. The covert war in Cambodia. Yeah, absolutely. You won't stop running your stupid 5K. Yeah, it's uh, it puts everything in perspective, too. Like those guys went through some hell and they didn't get a single bit of gratitude uh, when they came back and they didn't even get, a you know, what they probably their, their due, what they were due when they got back from uh, from, from the military itself because it you know, something that wasn't supposed to happen. And when you see the POW MIA guys, like a lot of those guys disappeared in camp. Yeah. And also Jocko uh, episode so, 160. That's like my, kind of a, that's my secret sauce whenever I start feeling bad for myself. So check that one out. That's pretty impressive that you can just spit the episodes out. <laughs> right there. I can't even do that for our own fucking podcast. <laughs> we only have like 21 episodes. I don't know if you guys will hit this one, but we'll switch real quick to another one from Tim. It's a, a workout question. Traps, you hit them on back day or while you're hitting shoulders? Does anybody want to hit that one? I would say Luke is probably the most qualified to answer this question. Okay. Uh, so if you're just getting started out and you just want to hit splits, like that's fine. I don't, I don't split everything up by – muscle group, right? Like your body doesn't work that way. You don't build muscle in isolated areas. Largely, like obviously you can target certain groups and activate them and and, and hit them. Bodybuilders really do that. But if you're looking for like really truly functional type movements and lifts to compound movements, I I don't really focus on my traps. I've got pretty good traps. Like I do a lot of, you know, compound movements and that's just what I would would focus on. And there's a bunch of different splits, but this kind of like segues into a shout out for the program we just dropped, which is uh, the hunt, lift, eat couch to mountain uh, on ramp program. Uh, Pete, we, we did a podcast on, we talked about it a little bit, a couple podcasts ago with uh, uh, Pete Sunderland, who you guys at this point know, um, shout out to him. He just finished his, uh, his marathon today. And I talked about it a little bit earlier, but that's just badass. It's a hell of a feat. Um, obviously I bitched out when I tore my quad, which Honestly, torn quad marathon at 9,000 feet. I think I would probably choose the quad again if I had to make the decision. Uh, but 
the pot, the program is awesome. We've already getting some great feedback. Folks are, I'm getting, you know, people are messaging me that are hitting it. We've had almost, I mean, over 200 downloads. Uh, it dropped last week, which is blows me away, blows Pete away. We were talking, I was like, dude, if 25 people download this, it'll be dope. So the fact that we've had that many people downloaded it is awesome. Uh, keep sending us your feedback. If you haven't, it's free. Just you get on the website, uh, add it to your cart and you check out, but it's free. Like you don't have to put in credit card information or anything like that. And you'll get a link to download it, check it out. Um, if you want to do it start to finish, that's how we built it. But if not, just use it to pick some workouts, use it as like a guide to build your, you know, workout base. What the intent behind it is basically to take somebody who's moderately active, uh, as a little bit of a base, like this isn't straight up like couch, right? Like you're, we're assuming that if you guys are in the woods and you're hunting and you're following us, you're probably somewhat active. And it's just to really start to prep you as an on-ramp four weeks, get you back into it, something you can do, and then it'll launch you into your next program and um, your next training thing. And I, I think it's going to be awesome. I know Carter, you're getting ready to start it. And Yeah, I'm starting Monday. Um, I'm doing a uh, triathlon with, or unofficial triathlon with Tim out in uh, Teton National Park in August. Um, so this is going to be a good little boost uh, to the training there to help out pick up the slack where I'm missing there. Yeah, it's built so anybody can do it. Uh, you need a few things, uh, either kettlebells, dumbbells, uh, sandbag, but it's all stuff you can like basically store like the corner of your garage. You don't have to have a whole gym and then you can just, you know, pull up bars preferred. You can substitute pull up. So if you need to, I would suggest having some sort of pull up bar, even if it's just like a door frame one. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a pretty awesome program. I was really impressed with how Pete built it. I kind of gave him my guidance and what I was thinking and my vision and he took it and ran with it and made it 10 times better than I ever would have. So it's, it's pretty great. And we have a big ideas in the future for f further programming. We just need feedback. So as you guys do this and knock it out, just fucking let us know and let us know what you think, you know, good, bad, you know, I think some people might think some of this stuff's a little complicated. We have an index in the back and then we're working. Eventually we're going to have video breakdowns of every single workout. It's comes back to what it always does is time. We just haven't been able to do it yet. So we'll have all that stuff for you guys, but I know, I think Perry, are you going to try to knock it out? Yeah, I definitely am. I've got to get the, um, sandbag is the one thing i lack i think i've got everything else i need i just haven't made time to do that yet but um it's it's definitely in the works evan and i i don't know if we talked about it maybe we did a couple episodes ago or something but evan and i or he kind of put together a little program for me that i've been um kind of dabbling in and it, it's been good i i've enjoyed it uh i've definitely i've looked at pete's program that he built and i, I agree with you luke it's it's very impressive um some of the stuff, honestly, I think I'm going to have to do a little, like I said, it's a little, not necessarily what I would call intuitive, but it's, it's going to require a little digging for me, which is a good thing. I need a little motivation, a little kick in the ass to get me up sometimes. So, um, I got to get the sandbag and I'm probably going to make, you know, make a goal to start it in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, it's built to be scalable, right? So like if, if there's something you're looking at and you're like, I just really don't feel comfortable. Or you're like halfway through it and you're like, I'm just, I'm dying scale it back either drop a little bit of weight or drop the reps that's okay because like you can build this program do it scaled to build up to then do it again like it, it's it's built that way you could even just run it back to back and you're just going to get better it's very fluid uh with the programming and so that's that's one of the big things i like about it it's kind of uh tailored to any fitness level and skill set level. And so, like, like I said, everything's got the index where there's a, uh, Pete did a written description of it. And if that's not enough, if you're just still, you know, need a little more 
you can Google uh, or YouTube every single exercise and somebody has done it. It's really like atomic athlete mountain tactical are the two big ones uh, that are pretty reputable. And they, they have most of those exercises in there. There's a lot of influence from some of their programming into how we built this. Um, there's a lot of influences into everything. I mean, that's just the programming world, how we all looked at it. I wanted to have something that would really apply to one, like military folks. We have a ton of military followers, but then also to guys that are just focused on like the backcountry. And so it's a very good, well-rounded fitness level, targeting all your energy systems to then set you up for those long hunts in the backcountry or whatever, like functional shit, you know, paramedic, EMT, first responder type shit, military, you know, cops, like whatever, or just like the everyday guy that just wants to feel better and look better. So I think it's a pretty awesome program. Definitely go check it out. But yeah, we're rolling up on like an hour and a half now, so we can go ahead and start, start wrapping this one up. I think it was a lot of fun. Those were some great questions. Uh, we'll do these periodically. Uh, we didn't tackle all of them. I'll roll, you know, some into the next one, but we'll do these, you know, every six episodes or so. I'll ask for more questions. So definitely feed those in and uh, we'll try to answer them to the, to the best of our ability, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll open up with you, Carter. What do you got for your closing thoughts? Man, I just want to say thanks to every listener that took the time to write in like the buy-in that you see, like with people investing (laughs) their time and asking questions and in HLE is incredible. And I just want to say from, I'll speak for the entire HLE team. Like, thank you guys for, for doing that. Like, uh, it's an honor and privilege to be able to do that uh, from this platform and answer y'all's questions. So keep them coming. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're a hundred percent right there. It's phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I say it all the time, but I'm consistently blown away by the response we get, the messages I get. Um, It's crazy. You know, you know, I had a message from some dude today. It was just like, Hey, you guys are fucking crushing it. Keep it up. It's just like, it's good stuff like that. Like, you know, it ebbs and flows the, you know, the level of like confidence in what we're doing. And so it's just, it's awesome. And I couldn't be more appreciative. Yeah, I agree completely. And to be honest, like, I mean, we've, we've cracked a lot of jokes about it previously in hell and just this episode too, but I've, I've obviously been somewhat hesitant to, to really dive into the whole social media thing. It's just not really my style, but some of the feedback that Luke has forwarded on from you guys and just seeing the sheer number of questions and the questions that obviously, you know, show us that you're, you're listening to the shows, um, you know, it's the funny ones, but then also the ones that, you know, you're asking legit um, questions that make you think and and that are really, you know, worthwhile questions that we appreciate answering and that I think are good topics of conversation. It's, it's really what made me um, kind of say, you know what, I do need to get an Instagram. I do need to be more accessible to you guys because it's, it is amazing the feedback that we've gotten. And as, as you said, Carter, it's, um, it's, it's a privilege and, you know, we, we don't take ourselves too seriously around here. We have fun, but at the end of the day, um, it's, it's been a blast just having this opportunity to try something and, you know, so far the feedback that we've gotten has just been unbelievable. So for me, that was what I needed to say, I'm going to go ahead and commit to (laughs) as little as it sounds to, you know, getting, getting the IG and, um, you know, try to be more accessible to you guys. Keep the questions coming. Um, it's a lot of fun to answer them. I think it's definitely something we should continue to do because between the whole, you know, gamut of te- different team members we have, you know, we can <laughs> we can shoot the shit for hours on on some of these topics from the serious stuff on the on the hunting and lifting and eating to some of the more comical uh, tangents that we get down. So keep it up, guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll help Perry uh, 
come up with his little handle there. It you know going on the trends of the uh, the family here, it'll probably be Perry Eisner because uh, that's what everybody's doing. But makes it pretty simple. Uh, Carter, shout shout him out with your uh, Instagram there. Uh, yeah, my Instagram is the Homestead underscore GA. Uh, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram. Um, also one last thing I forgot to mention, I would like to address the fact that we answered exponentially more questions than Caleb and Garrett did on the last, uh, listener podcast. Of course we did. So just in your face. Yeah. Suck in it, your guys. face, Caleb and Garrett. So yeah. Suck it nerds. It's because we're not shit faced. Well, about well. F- 50 less shiner <laughs> box each. So, but, uh. Uh, fuck. I had something else to say. I'm, I'm blanking on it. Oh yeah. So definitely, uh, what's been awesome and we've continued to build it. I've shot it out a few, shouted it out a couple of the podcasts was the uh, HLE forum on Facebook. So that's like the Facebook spot where you guys can go and throw up stuff. Um, you know, we're just kind of gaining some momentum. It's still pretty small. I think it's just shy of 200 folks, but guys are throwing up recipes, training stuff, their goals. Like that's what it is. is we're building the community of support. Um, and it's honestly going to be a great place. If you guys have questions about the programming, Pete's there, I'm there, every team member's there, uh, that's on Facebook, maybe one or two of them are, but so you can talk to everybody. We'll give you any feedback advice. Like if you just need like a, a sounding board or, you know, motivation, accountability, any of that shit, that's what it's there for recipes. Like it's, it's pretty cool. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and, and I feel like we're getting some momentum. So definitely go just search the H or is it the HLE? No, it's the Hunt Lift Eat Forum. Excuse me. Look at the Hunt Lift Eat Forum on Facebook, and that's that's where it's at. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, we've also got the episodes of the Tuesday Tips that are coming out every Tuesday. This is still kind of in the beta. I don't know if we're going to keep doing these or not. Uh, we've ha- honestly haven't heard a lot of feedback one way or the other, other than a few. Uh, every, all the feedback we've gotten has been positive, but it's only been like three or four folks. So if you guys like those tips, let us know if it's just something you're, you're going to ignore and not listen, like just let us know too. And we'll kill it. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm not emotionally invested either way, but we kind of figured it'd be good. Cause we kind of get down tangents to have a short episode on Tuesdays that gives you kind of the nitty gritty uh, tips as it regards, or as it relates to hunting, lifting and eating. So, you know, expect that uh, every Tuesday, We'll probably do it for a couple more months, get some feedback, reassess, and then either cut it or keep it. But definitely let us know about that. Um, We also have the gym line coming. Uh, We've gotten some great feedback already on some of the sneak peeks. You saw Pete doing some of his stuff in some of that apparel. Uh, Our first female team member, Ashley, she was rocking some of that. I've gotten some great feedback from some of the ladies. Uh, We've got a whole female line coming out. We've got a few more uh, dudes gym stuff coming out. So that's going to be really cool. I still don't know the exact date. I haven't gotten the full supply in and we still got to do some promo uh, pictures for the, for the males, but we'll get some promos and I'll, I'll drop the date here probably in the next week or so. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, as always go check us out on the website at huntlifteat.com. We have several new hats. A lot of them are selling out. We won't have a hat restock for a minute. So go grab those if you like any of them. And then, uh, Hit us up on Instagram at HuntLiftEatOfficial. If you want to follow me, it's at Luke.D.Cox for my personal page. And as always, we appreciate the absolute living hell out of you folks. Thank you so much.